Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Uh, it's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, as I speak, what is today? Oh, it is uh, Friday, January 12th. God, I've lost track of time. Uh, I always like to leave a little, uh, read a little headline uh, from the news to give you an idea of what's going on. So Lord knows when you're going to be listening to this. Uh, so the headlines, I'm just kind of smiling at. This has nothing to do with politics, although I may turn it into a political comment in the end. Um, I'm going to just talk to Block Club uh, for a while here. Block Club, of course, is the uh, local, uh, if, if you're listening nationally, it's, it's a, a newspaper, virtual newspapers on the internet only, uh, a local, hyper-local, great paper, love it. I, I subscribe to it, I give them my money, et cetera, and so forth. But Block Club, your hyping of the weather is getting out of hand. I'm just going to say, you guys, like, I think you, you should see a therapist on this one, okay? We, this is time for intervention. This was the headline yesterday that about five people shared with me, rolling their eyes. News alert, bomb cyclone storm to hit Chicago Friday. <laughs> bomb cyclone storm. What is a, I've been living in Chicago for over 40 years. I've never even heard of a bomb cyclone storm, snowstorm, be scared. Uh, and then today, they never, the bomb cyclone storm never showed up. We had like rain. Uh, so they they sent out a new headline today, uh, which says, uh, here we go, uh, downright dangerous winter storm. <laughs> downright dangerous. No, this one's for real. Anyway, it's kind of a rainy, slushy day in the city of Chicago. But that's what we, the Chicago media, man, they love to scare the hell out of Chicagoans, you know? Be scared of the weather, be scared of crime, be scared of black people, be scared of property taxes. Just be scared, okay? And turn things over to Mayor Daly. 
After a while, Chicago's, Chicago's don't even listen anymore. And it's kind of the, here's the political parable that I'm going to bring my distinguished guest. It's sort of like me constantly warning America through my humble little podcast of the dangers of Donald Trump and the threat to democracy that he represents. I think America has stopped listening. They don't care. I think most Americans don't even care about democracy. There we go. That, they, yeah, let the strong man run. I don't care. I don't. What's the weather going to be? I'm starting to think we're a little like the block club headline writers. You know, then nobody is listening to us anymore. Anyway, that's uh, how I turn the weather into politics. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest who's been patiently waiting to introduce himself. I'm going to pick his big political brain. Take it away, distinguished guest. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, I'm David Ferris, Associate Professor of Political Science at Roosevelt University, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, columnist at Newsweek and Slate, um, and current victim of this worst winter storm in human history. God, how are we going to survive, Ben? I just don't know. I know. The hype uh, is, uh, it, it's it's actually amusing. Uh, and again, my theory, Chicago media has been trained to to try to scare Chicagoans into either buying a newspaper in the old days or clicking on a story. That's what they've been, they've been taught. Be afraid, Chicago. Uh, so let's let's make the uh, the leap, the connection between that opening riff uh, and the very bad news that you wrote in one of your recent columns. I have three items of sorts I want to talk to you about. We'll talk about bad polls for President uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I was saying, suggesting that uh, people have stopped listening uh, to the warnings that uh, folks are giving about the end of democracy if Trump wins. But it's just like they've stopped listening to Block Club when they say the weather's going to be bad. Uh, it's, it certainly shows uh, or suggests from your uh, from the polls, uh, David, that it's not a pressing issue in America. Your thoughts? I mean, sure, the polls are bad. <laughs> For Joe Biden right now. Um, and uh, I, I think that means there's I think there's been a certain amount of amnesia um, about who Donald Trump is and what he would do to us and what it would be like to have him as president again. Um, his favorability ratings right now are higher than they have ever been for Donald Trump. OK, um, and that's actually um, I mean, apart from the fact that this is that we're talking about Donald Trump. Uh, his 91 felony indictments, his attempts to overthrow democracy, his like just basic human indecency. Apart from all of that, Ben, it's actually completely normal for a president to get more popular after he leaves office. I mean, like you see this is a very clear um, and, and uh, standard historical trend where whatever your approval rating is when you leave office, it goes up um, over time. You know, not like indefinitely. Right. Um, but George W. Bush was at like what twenty nine percent when he left office, um, and uh, and he's much higher now. There's a certain amount of nostalgia. You tend to remember the good things rather than the bad things about somebody, um, and I think that's happening to Trump too. I mean, he's he's the beneficiary of that uh, that sort of historical amnesia uh, that people want to think back and be like, I remember when he was like making dick jokes with Kim Jong Un and almost. Getting us in the nuclear. I don't remember what the good stuff was, honestly. I guess it was the economy was good, but um, everything else was a fiasco. So, but but that's what's happening. Right? There's there's historical amnesia, 
Joe Biden is historically unpopular um, in comparison to past incumbent presidents who are seeking re-election. I don't, we don't have any polling data this close to an election of someone who is losing to the challenger in polling um, and has favorability ratings this low and then coming back to win, right? So it's not like it couldn't happen. Um, but I think people start to need to wake up to the reality a little bit that we are actually in some significant trouble here um, and that uh, Biden is going to need all hands on deck, um, you know, not just to get down a flight of stairs, but to win this election. So um, I think it's uh, it's yeah, it's wake up time for me. Well, I what could Biden possibly do? You, you said it's uh, wake up time, all hands on deck. Uh, and it suggests that there's something Biden could do uh, to turn things around. So what could he possibly do? <clears throat> I think there's a few things. Right? I mean, I think that um, to me, it's very clear that the Gaza war right now is hurting Joe Biden. Right? It's, it's hurting him because it is bleeding out parts of the Democratic base. Um, and the, those parts of the Democratic base, like primarily young folks, um, are intermittent and unreliable voters to begin with. I'm not casting aspersions. Right? This is another thing that's that's just historically true. Um, but the, but young people tend to not vote at the same rates as older people. Um, and so we're at risk of losing a chunk of those voters to non-voting um, or even losing them to Donald Trump because there's so much dissatisfaction with America's sort of uncritical embrace of Israel. So I think that whatever Joe Biden can do um, to try to get the Israeli government to bring this thing to a conclusion as quickly as possible uh, would be nothing but good for him, right? Because now we're, you know, we're bombing the Houthis in, in Yemen and, uh, you know, there's a risk of a wider regional war here uh, if, if somebody doesn't rein the Israelis in. Um, and more to the point for the election, I just, you know, the longer this goes on, the worse it is for Biden, okay? Um, Netanyahu, who hates him, knows that. Um, you know, Netanyahu hates, hates Democrats, right? So, like, this is, you know, he's pleased his punch about the fact that Trump might be president again. Um, but the reality is, like, it is in the interests of, like, the human rights of the Palestinian people. It is in the rights of the long-range resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's in the interest of the American government. It's in Joe Biden's interest, right? Like, it is in everyone's interest to, to wind this conflict down, uh, bring it to some kind of a resolution, um, and then get to work repairing the damage that has been done, I think, with those with those younger voters, um, or at least, you know, turning their attention elsewhere. Right? Like, because it is far enough from the election, I think a lot of this stuff could recede. Um, but if this war is still going on this summer, and we're still, you know, just writing blank checks to Israel, um, I just, I think that's, I think that's really bad. Uh, let's, so I'm going to follow up on something you said, but I, I always have to say this. Uh, I'm always, I'm always, it's always, I'm always a little uncomfortable talking about the political ramifications uh, in the United States uh, to the slaughter that's going on in the Middle East and in Gaza. I just like, you know, there's it's like a bigger reality than how it's going to affect American politics. Nonetheless, it does affect American politics. Uh, and so there's, let's take a little deep dive here. You said two things uh, that on the face of them are clearly uh, contradictory, um, but they are reality. The first thing you said was that uh, uh, the war uh, is bleeding out parts of the Democratic base and people are turned off by Biden's uh, 
unwavering embrace of Netanyahu. And then the second thing you said was uh, that Netanyahu is pleased as punch uh, that Trump may be president again. <laughs> I, I'm like, so I know a lot, a lot of people in this country who have declared that they are not going to vote for Joe Biden because he's embracing Netanyahu. And, and then I point out, well, you realize what the alternative is. I mean, <laughs> maybe, I, you know, I don't know if there's much of the distinction between what Trump would do in office and what Joe Biden would do, and if you're just looking the other way at slaughter. But at least in rhetorically, there would be difference. Uh, he, Trump would be cheering on Israel as it pounds away. So address that, if you will, that contradiction between Joe Biden uh, being held accountable for uh, America's uh, attitude toward Israel and Donald Trump not being held accountable. I, I think it's important to keep in mind that it could always be worse, you know. <laughs> so however dissatisfied you are with the Biden administration's position on Israel-Palestine, and some of your listeners might not be dissatisfied at all. I don't really know, right? Um, but if you think that, that the United States has been too uncritical in its, uh, in its support for Israel, uh, I would just urge you to like watch any Republicans talking about this issue in public. Um, you know, the main Republican presidential candidates, you know, the, the same moderate one, Nikki Haley, is just gets up on TV and is like, finish them, you know, and then uh, they talk about Palestinians like they're not people. Um, I'm I'm convinced that Donald Trump would 100 percent sign off on a on a mass sort of ethnic cleansing expulsion of the Palestinians from Gaza and then ultimately the West Bank. But like he has no human empathy for them whatsoever. Um, and, um, and he was the most pro Israel president in American history, right? Um, he moved the American embassy from, uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, just like the Israeli far right always wanted him to do. Um, he basically communicated to the Netanyahu government, um, that, uh, that it doesn't consider settlements in the West bank to be illegal anymore. Uh, made zero effort to achieve a two-state solution. He put his idiot son and son-in-law in front of the Middle East peace process, um, and uh, and canceled the Iran deal. Right? Like I can't emphasize enough the role that a, like a like an angry, bitter, hardline Iranian government is playing in this whole thing. Right? Like uh, six years ago, we had an imperfect uh, deal, but. Uh, we had halted progress on Iranian nuclear weapons. There was some level of background cooperation between the United States and the Iranian government. And there was a relative moderate. Uh, OK, this is in the context of Iranian theocracy. It's not a real moderate. Right. But like compared to the guys that are running this show right now, he was a moderate. And then we pulled out of that deal for no reason. Let's um, just infuriated them. Remember when Trump assassinated uh, Qasem Soleimani, the, the Iranian general? Um, just did everything that he could to inflame tensions with Iran. And then lo and behold, um, Iran is now using its proxies to, to harass us, um, to, to go after shipping in the Red Sea, to fund Hamas, uh, to, to urge Hezbollah to walk that fine line between, um, you know, between taking back, taking, you know, taking a back seat to the conflict and escalating it. Um, Trump is just a nightmare for the situation. I, I don't think there's anything that Netanyahu could do to the Palestinians that Trump would not ultimately just like give a rubber stamp to. Okay. And I think, you know, I'm skeptical of the arguments that, that 
some Democrats are making like, well, you wouldn't believe what Biden is stopping behind the scenes um, because I don't think that he has made any serious effort to use the leverage that he has um, to, to put a stop to the mass slaughter of, of the Palestinians. Um, at the same time, it could be worse. Okay? And if this is your single issue voter um, and it's like American support for Palestine or American uh, policy in the Middle East, it would only get worse from here. You know, um, Trump was opposed to some Middle East adventurism, but when it comes to Israel and Iran uh, and like Yemen, that kind of stuff, like he, he was not a dove on that stuff. He's like, I, there's a lot of Republicans that want to go in and like take out the regime in Tehran, um, do another Iraq war. Like this could go in a million different terrible directions if we elect Republicans into office next year. So uh, I, I share the I share the sort of extraordinary levels of discomfort with American support for Israeli policy right now. Um, but I think this is one of those situations where you you have to be pragmatic um, about what the real options actually are. And I don't think that you would like at all what you would see from a Trump administration here. No, I heard. And yes, I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm certain that most of the people I've talked to, they will dismiss everything you've said. Most of the uh, the folks I know who have just said they're not going to vote for Biden at all because of uh, the way he has embraced Netanyahu uh, and it's not uh, it's discouraging Israel from the slaughter. So they're vehement on this. Uh, and um, so everything you said, as rational, as logical as it is, uh, is not going to work. I, I do not believe it's going to convince it. I do not believe the lesser of two evils uh, argument will work in this current day and age. And in part, it's tied to what you talked about, amnesia. And what I talked about too, like the chicken little syndrome. Uh, Folks just, it seems to me across the board, David, do not believe, going back to what we were earlier talking about, that Donald Trump is that much of a danger or they don't care uh, or it pales uh, in in contrast to what's going on in Gaza and they want to send a message. Uh, And so there will be a a metaphorical civil war within the Democratic Party, within uh, on the left, uh, j- just to essentially uh, make a point. And the point is, we are here. You have to pay attention to us. We realize the other side will never, ever pay attention to us. We don't care about that. We're willing to put up with Donald Trump. Uh, I think someone said, I, I quote, uh, we could put up with uh, four more years of Donald Trump. Uh, it, it's not nearly as bad as what's happening in Gaza. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know if it's going to be four more years. I, you if Donald Trump, we're going to have fascism in Gaza, fascism in Israel, and fascism in the United States of America. Uh, so it'll be a trifecta there. Um, that's my sense of it. It's a certain uh, level of uh, illogic. Do you, do you agree with me that the... Um, lesser of two evils argument as particularly weak right now? I totally agree. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how Biden would even make that argument, right? Like we go out in public and be like, look, I mean, I know I'm responsible for a certain amount of Palestinian killing, but this guy would do it more than me. Ah, Come out and vote for me, young people. You know, Uh, like that meme with Steve Buscemi trying to be a a young kid in high school, you know, like, hey, kids, you know, (laughs) like get on board with my Middle East policy. It's really cool. It's hip, you know. It's a flex. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's not a good argument. Like, I think it's a good argument, right, because I think it's true, right? But it's not something you can sell easily uh, to wavering voters and independents and 
um, sort of intermittent Democratic voters who might be inclined to vote third party or stay home, um, you need to bring the war to a conclusion. Right? Um, and then once that happens, uh, that like the healing can begin and you can start doing outreach to those folks and highlighting other things that you've done in office um, and, and try to kind of put the Israel-Palestine issue, issue to the side for the time being. Um, but uh, if he doesn't do that, if the war is still raging in uh, you know, summer or even in the fall, um, I just I don't see how you can credibly make that argument because, you know, Trump's not going to be um, necessarily publicly outflanking Biden to the right on this issue. OK, um, because Biden has left very little room to the right rhetorically in terms of what he's doing. Um, and Trump is very clever and has like manipulated a number of people in the media into thinking that he's some kind of a dove. Um, if you remember that article before the 2016 election, I think it was Maureen Dowd in the New York Times that was like, you know, Donald the Dove and Hillary the Hawk, you know. Yeah. I bet <laughs> she like, regrets that article. Yeah. I don't think she does. I don't think she cares at all. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was damaging. And the perception um, that somehow Democrats are like worse on Middle East policy than the Trump administration is just... Uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a hallucination. Like Democrats are not great about it. Don't get me wrong, um, but it, it really could be worse. Um, and I, I think that Biden needs really needs to find a way uh, to get some forward momentum in terms of a settlement of some kind. Um, start rebuilding Gaza. Announce like a Marshall Plan for Gaza, um, and it, you can do that and still be like you know hardline anti-Hamas. And it's not like we're going to see a Palestinian state in the next 12 months or anything, right? Like, I mean, I wouldn't have any illusions about what can be achieved in the next year or so, but um, certainly like, you know, the, the widespread destruction and dispossession of the Palestinians can be halted, right? Um, if, if somebody could muster the political will to put that pressure on the Israelis. Now it's hard, right? Because Hamas has not surrendered, right? They're being extremely intransigent. Um, and so the, the fantasy that like there's going to be like a day where they, you know, they hold up the corpses of all the Hamas leaders and they're like, we won, they're gone. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Right? And so somebody has to get to Netanyahu and be like, you know, we got to find a middle ground here between like you've killed every last person in Hamas uh, or or you're going to let's just like wipe this territory off the map and, and disperse everyone into Egypt. Um, and, I, you know, if he's making that case behind the scenes, great. But but we need to see we need to see those results. Yeah. All right. I'm going to uh, move on from uh, the uh, her, uh, this particular issue because I have a feeling that it's just going to be uh, so de depressing for me to discuss because I do believe I, I actually do believe that that's the policy right now. That's like the of in, in Israel with Netanyahu. Oh, eliminate the Gazans, the Palestinians, and then take over Gaza. Put the pressure on Egypt to to accept millions of refugees. I I'm starting to think that they that's what's driving them, and they they are, you're right. They're looking for Trump to get in office because then there will be a green light uh, uh, to do that. Uh, let's go on and talk about something else though about more uh, in, in um, United States politics. Uh, and this is a notion that may have to something to do with the poll numbers, that Joe Biden is too old. And I'm going to recreate to you a conversation I had with a, a relatively young voter 
who remain anonymous. Uh, and this young voter told me that he was not going to vote for Joe Biden under any circumstances. Had nothing. He didn't mention Israel or Gaza or anything. I don't think this. He's not paying attention. I think the vast majority, by the way, David, of Americans are not paying attention to the Middle East. Uh, I understand what you're saying, that there's a base, you know, uh, uh, lefty voters who do pay attention to politics and who are paying attention, but most people aren't. Anyway, um, and he says, because Joe Biden's too old, and he said that anybody who listens to Joe Biden knows uh, he's too feeble, uh, and that in reality, we cannot believe that a man this old is running the government. Somebody else is running the government. And I don't want to uh, have a government run by unknown people. Effectively, is was this person's argument. Straight up Joe Rogan argument. Uh, clearly, uh, <laughs> it's a Joe Rogan fan. Uh, I recognize Joe Ro- Rogan rhetoric when I hear it. He's got something against old people. I guess he doesn't realize that he's going to get old. Uh, and, um, so your thoughts on this, uh, the notion that, uh, Joe Biden is too old and that there's some unknown being creature thing, people behind the scenes actually running government. And that's uh, very scary. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, this is a, this is at this point a, a fairly prominent conspiracy theory on the right, which is that. Barack Obama is actually running the government right now um, from DSY State in D.C. But I think we talked about this once briefly, right? There's people that are like, why didn't he leave D.C. like everybody else did? You know, it's like, because his kids are in school. Um, you know, like, he's obviously like, you know, uh, track the cars, you know, watch watch for Obama's motorcade going to the White House. He's running the show. Like, they did a little ad um, the other day together with Biden and uh, Biden and Obama, Um Obama trying to, you know, hype, hype up Joe Biden. Good luck. Um, and uh, <laughs> look, Joe Biden is running the government, right? I mean, he may have a lighter schedule than a younger man, but but that's who's in charge. Um, and the federal government is like an enormous behemoth, like the, the, the heads of the various agencies, his cabinet advisors. Um, they all have significant power to carry out policy um, that the Biden administration is crafting, Okay. Do I believe that Biden is up at 6 a.m., like coming through policy details and, and up through midnight, uh, like the, you know, the stories we were told about Bill Clinton's involvement in the day to day? No, I think he's probably a little bit more hands off than that, probably by necessity, because he's a little bit older. Uh, I don't know, if you, you know, like how many how many 80 year olds do you know um, that that could carry on a, a full schedule like somebody who's who's 45 or 50? Um, it's just it's just that's the reality of human biology. Um, and what I would point out is that Donald Trump is 77. He's only three years younger than Biden. He doesn't sound any better than him. You you know, he's got a a little bit more bellicosity and he's louder than Biden um, and he's more outrageous. Uh, You know, whatever you want to say about Joe Biden, he's not funny, okay? Um, And so Biden has is missing that like sort of star charisma, I guess. God help me. (laughs) The kind of raw charisma that Trump has. It doesn't work on me, but I, but you can recognize that it's there. Um, it's it's awful, and it's a it's like a dark, it's like a dark magic charisma, but it's there. Um, but he also sound, he doesn't make any sense. Like if you were to hold up two speeches right now, public speeches by Joe Biden and Donald Trump right next to each other, okay, Trump I think has sounds like he has more energy, but he makes less sense. Okay. Biden will stumble over words, and he will 
you know, misremember details and things like that. And he speaks more slowly. Uh, and, it's, and honestly, it's a little bit more difficult to understand what he's saying than, than five or 10 years ago. But Donald Trump's words just straight up don't make sense. When you like you diagram a sentence, you're like, what are you like? Literally, what are you talking about? OK, um, it's like the oh, windmills, you know, like I, he's, he's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's nuts. Yeah. Um, and so I just don't buy the argument that that Trump is is better suited to the presidency in an age way than Joe Biden is. Okay? Donald Trump has all of the same um, limitations that any human being has when they reach their late 70s and early 80s. Um, I, I, my, my beloved parents are in their late seventies. Okay. I would, you know, I, I love them to pieces. Um, I think that we need to have respect for the elderly. We need to care for them. Um, we need tons and tons of new policies at the national level to help care for the boomers as they get old. Um, and, uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have any tolerance for real ageism. Okay. But they're both elderly, Ben, these, they're both elderly men. Um, and it looks like they will be the nominees. Uh, and I, I, I honestly, age is your problem. Trump is not the answer. Let's move on to a different topic. Uh, and uh, this has to do with uh, the Colorado ruling uh, that Donald Trump is ineligible uh, to be a candidate for president. They bounced him off the ballot. It's a ballot access question. Uh, and it will be heard by the Supremes. Uh, as we're recording, I just saw that, um, what state? Oregon. The Supreme Court in Oregon, this is breaking news, uh, has said it's going to hold off on, on a hearing as to whether uh, they should, uh, Donald Trump should be on the ballot in Oregon until the Supremes have weighed in. Uh, so this whole conversation we're having about Trump returning, uh, folks having amnesia, uh, and uh, people willfully voting for a dictator, strange state of American politics, uh, may uh, possibly be moot uh, if the Supremes uphold Colorado and rule that Donald Trump uh, is ineligible to run for president. Your thoughts on this general uh, situation? Look, I mean, he obviously deserves to be thrown off the ballot in every single state. Okay. Do you mind if I just read the text of the 14th Amendment to, for so the audience gets it? Okay. So this is, uh, this is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution that was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War. This is obviously not <laughs> the primary thing that the 14th Amendment is known for, okay? Um, but this was aimed at Confederates, right? This was aimed at Confederate leaders. And it says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector or president or vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, comma, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, think, think about, keep that in your mind for a second, or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Uh, but Congress may, by a vote of two thirds of each house, remove such disability. OK, look, um, Donald Trump tried to overthrow the American government. OK, uh, it's like it's not. It's not particularly ambiguous what, what he did and didn't do, right? He ran a plot uh, to overturn the results of the 2020 election, including putting together fake electors, like gaming out scenarios where he could put, um, put down dissent with the military, declaring uh, the Insurrection Act, um, trying to get Mike Pence to stop the counting, and then he encouraged a mob to go and murder people in Congress. So um, it's not just that he gave aid and comfort to the insurrectionists. He was part of a conspiracy to destroy the American Republican system of government. 
Okay. That's unambiguous to me. Now, you know, whether Clarence Thomas will agree with that or not, I couldn't tell you. Um, but he clearly fits that part of it. Okay. There, there's one legal thing. Um, I don't think we actually talked about this the last time I was on the show. And we talked about the 14th Amendment. Um, but that section where it says, uh, as an officer of the United States, um, there are there is a legal argument that the president is not an officer of the United States as this amendment to the Constitution says it is. Okay, like an officer of the United States is like cabinet officials, right? Or, uh, you know, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, stuff like that. And the, and the president, they said, the legal argument goes, look, the 14th Amendment specifically does not name the president or the vice president um, as somebody who would be ineligible for office based on this conduct. And therefore, you know, they knew what they were doing. And therefore, um, Trump was not an officer. And we're going to dismiss this case because it's it's not uh, it's not applicable. And I could actually see the Supreme Court doing that. Um, and um, there's, you know, there's conservative legal theorists out there, uh, you know, constitutional experts who, who believe that the case will be dismissed for that reason, on the, on the sort of the technicality that the president is not specifically named in the 14th Amendment as being one of the offices that you held when you were doing insurrection. Okay. Now, that is absurd on its face to me, right, that you crafted this whole statute to keep uh, Confederate traitors out of the government, but you specifically excluded um, presidents and vice presidents from the statute for some reason that you don't talk about here. Um, but it could to me be the thing that's the, that the hard right Supreme court hangs its hat on instead of being like, that wasn't an insurrection. <laughs> they could be like, okay, yeah, I mean, it seems like he did that, but I mean, was he an officer of the United States? I don't think so. Signed John Roberts. So, yeah. um, my prediction would be is that if they overturn the um, the Colorado Colorado ruling, it will. In the Maine, Maine has also done it, by the way, yeah. um, just in a different by a different pathway. Mm-hmm. The Maine Secretary of State did it herself. Um, if they're going to put a halt to this movement, that's that is the legal basis on which they will do it. Now, I think people are assuming that the Supreme Court will side with Donald Trump, um, and if I was a betting man. I would bet the Supreme Court will side with Donald Trump. However, and we've talked about this a couple times before, but like the key thing about the Roberts Court um, is that its decisions are made not based on originalism or textualism or any like meaningful or sensical interpretation of American constitutional law, but about what role each decision in each case plays in the enlargement of conservative political power. Um, and the conservative legal movement and the conservative political movement do not actually depend on, on the presence of Donald Trump on the ballot. In fact, if you are a Supreme Court ideologue, right, and you want a Republican elected president, uh, and you want to issue all kinds of decisions to make it harder for Democrats to win elections, which they've done over and over again, you might look at the current polling and be like, hmm. Uh, I'm in my mid 70s. I'd love to retire. Uh, I actually think that Nikki Haley has a better chance of beating Joe Biden and then I could retire than Donald Trump, who might lose to Joe Biden. And then I have to stay on the Supreme Court for another five years. <laughs> right? um, and that, that could be the calculus. If you're wow. Sam Alito or you're Clarence Thomas, right? Um, you might look at this and be no. like, maybe I'll just do the whole party a favor, the whole movement a favor and just get rid of this guy. I, instead of even just affirming Colorado's, but just the Supreme Court just be like, he's, in, he's ineligible. He's gone. Yeah. Bye-bye. Right. And they could do that. 
with the stroke of a pen, they could eliminate Donald Trump from contention for the presidency. It would cr- it would cause an enormous uproar. It would reset the Republican race for the nomination. Uh, I think it'd be a really fun and cool thing to watch. <laughs> Do I think it's likely, Ben? No. Um, but the idea that you can like automatically assume that this Supreme Court will side with Donald Trump because he's Donald Trump, I don't think so. He has lost before this court before. They ordered his taxes released to House Democrats, right? They they swatted down the initial couple of versions of his uh, of his ban on 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 people from Muslim countries coming to the United States. Um, they have not always sided with Donald Trump, right? Um, and of course, the Supreme Court ruled against Donald Trump in the aftermath of the 2020 election. Yeah. Um, when the lunatic um, uh, attorney general of Texas got a bunch of other lunatic attorney generals <laughs> to try to remember, he tried to yeah, petition just, to have a bunch of results oh my set God. aside. It just basically, yes. it was like, oh, these, these irregularities, we got to just like yeah. set aside the results in Pennsylvania yeah. and, and Michigan. I, no, it was Pennsylvania was the state that they mentioned in there. But anyway, yes, yes, go ahead. Yeah. yeah people was like, uh, no, thanks. They didn't even take the yeah. case, right? So, um, I, you know, the idea that they, will vote in lockstep with Trump is absurd. Yeah. They will vote in lockstep with the conservative legal movement. Wow. They will vote in, in lockstep with conservative legal power. Um, but they are not necessarily Donald Trump's handmaidens, even if he appointed some of them. Uh, I'm sure in private, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett thinks Donald Trump is like a world historical scumbag. Um, and so, you know, like, thanks for the Supreme Court seat. You are a piece of garbage, yeah. you know? Uh, you do not actually live these Christian principles that animate <laughs> my every waking moment. So, um, wow. yeah, I don't know. Anything's possible, right? And I think it would be good for American democracy to see the 14th Amendment enforced. Yeah. Call me crazy. People are like, oh, it would inflame the Trumpists. No. There'd be civil war. I'm like, no, there wouldn't. People would grumble, 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 and there'd be some protests. Um, and then, like, Haley or DeSantis would win the nomination, and everybody would forget Donald Trump ever existed. Oh, so, I'm not sure about um, that, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, wow. There's a lot to unpack there. And um, so uh, let me unpack it and then uh, you respond. Uh, number one, as long as people know who listen to this show, I've made so many bets and I, w- I am going to lose so much uh, in terms of promises to buy breakfast for various guests if the Supremes rule in favor of Colorado. I've said all along, I do not believe there's any way you're going to get five votes in favor of the Colorado position out of the Supreme Court. And I'll bet you a breakfast at the place of my choice. Okay. So I will get clobbered on this one. Um, I don't believe uh, they'll do it because uh, they think it's the right decision or, you know, that constitutionally it's the right decision. To your point, I think they'll cook up some kind of technicality in order to avoid kicking Donald Trump off the ballot because they're too chicken and don't want to inflame MAGA. I do believe they don't want to inflame MAGA. This is not where I'm coming from on this one. Uh, so I believe that Clarence Thomas will absolutely rule that this is not an insurrection, that in fact there is evidence to suggest that there was voter fraud. His wife called the election the hoax of the century, uh, and he will say that Donald Trump was acting, I don't know, nobly in that he was trying to uh, root out uh, corruption. I, I actually believe that's where Clarence Thomas will come from on this. So he will say it's not an insurrection. You're absolutely correct. Johnny Roberts will, will play the weasel. He'll cook up this. Oh, well, it doesn't say president, even though it says officer. So, you know, <laughs> he'll be the weasel. Okay. And then the only issue is 
Like, you know, I'm like, will the three Democrats stick together on the court and rule with Colorado or they bend? And uh, who knows? I can't predict that. I don't. But I, 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 you are right. You are spot on when you said Roberts uh, is uh, the one uh, who will write that little weaselly, um, you know, uh, uh, ruling. But you're also absolutely correct when you point out that if you're a textualist and you actually have principles and you believe the legal theories you've been espousing for your whole freaking life, he's gone. He is gone. We have rules and regulation that govern ballot access, and he's breaking the rules. And the, the metaphor I use all the time is he wants to be a tennis player who plays tennis without a net. And if you're a real textualist, you go, no, 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 there's a net. You, you just can't say hit the ball everywhere you want and say, oh, no, it doesn't matter wherever I hit the ball. So, I, you know, there's part of me, David, that thinks, is there a chance that, like, Neil Gorsuch will say, no, 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 this is my principle. This is what I believe in. I'm going to join with the three Dems. And, uh, you know, maybe you're right. Amy Coney Barrett may say the same thing. I mean, is that freaking possible? And they'll, you're right. They will rid the Republican Party. They will save this country uh, from, from the Donald Trump presidency. But you will not get rid of Trumpism. If they bounce them, Donald Trump, there's no way Donald Trump will support. No way he'll support the Haley ticket or the DeSantis ticket. So they will go down to defeat, right? Donald Trump, maybe he'll run a writing. Who knows what he's going to do, that lunatic. So you've kind of convinced me, even though you weren't intending to, that there is a kernel of a chance, a kernel of a chance that um, I would guess it would be Gorsuch and Barrett that would join the Dems. Yeah. I think that's right. Gorsuch and Barrett, or even maybe Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Where, like, I mean, Kavanaugh's a guy that owes his career to like the late, you know, the late '90s Republicans, George W. Bush. But like, I don't think there's any love lost between between Brett Kavanaugh and Donald Trump. Um, really, the the two the two hardened ideologues that would not work with us under any circumstances about this are Alito and Thomas. <laughs> Clarence Thomas. But like, and you're right. He he is going to write something completely demented. Um, and I, my, my, you know, the, my prediction is that Republicans will rule against Colorado. Um, and there might be as many as three different concurring opinions about it. Yes. Right. Thomas and Alito are like, there was no insurrection. What are you talking about? Right. Like Philadelphia, bad things were happening in Philadelphia, just crazy stuff, you know? Um, and then like Kavanaugh and, and uh, Gorsuch and Roberts are right, write something about officers of the United States, uh, and Barrett will, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they will come to, I think that they will vote the same way for different reasons. Right. But I do think yeah. there's a non-zero chance. I don't think it's high, but there's a non-zero chance that like, yeah, Gorsuch and they only need Gorsuch and Roberts, right? They don't need, they don't need Kavanaugh or Barrett. Uh, you only need five. So again, people are talking like you need to get all six of them or, or three of the four, three of the six. Like you need two of those six lunatics. <laughs> do the right thing um and i don't think it's impossible i really don't yeah. I, I think i mean wouldn't, don't you think john roberts more than anyone else on earth would love to see john, like donald trump just out of his life forever yeah uh, yes uh I, 
I don't think he has the guts to do it, though. Uh, I mean, first of all, there are threats of violence. Like the judge in New York overseeing Trump's uh, corruption case, one of the many cases. You know, there was a bomb scare at his house. There was a swatting uh, call in at his for his home uh, in suburban New York. So there are physical threats. You isolated from your friends and family who are hardcore Republicans. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I mean, for the Supreme Court, they're like, well, everybody wants to kill us anyway. So what's <laughs> right? Oh least, my God. Look, violence, these MAGA people are the most fragile people on earth. And there's threats of violence. Like when they cast like a, like a black person in a star Wars movie or something, you know, they're like, we're going to kill you all. You know, it's like, okay, man. All right. You know, is that cancel it, culture? Tell me. Yeah. So, more like a woman. Yeah, that that what really triggers them is when a woman gets cast in a role that they think of as a male role. It that they their little brains just pop. Can handle it. All right, uh, we will close uh, the show and a chapter uh, in the show. Uh, And so, uh, for the last several months, uh, I got great pleasure out of asking David the Chris Christie question, uh, which is: Does Chris Christie have a chance? Chris Christie was running an experiment. Could an unabashedly anti-Trump Republican candidate mount a serious challenge in the Republican primary? He was the anti-Trumper in the race. The only one who would just without reflex bash Trump. Well, I think we got our answer, uh, David, the other day when Chris Christie announced he was uh, pulling out of the election. And I don't think he ever got past like one or two percent on any poll. Uh, he didn't qualify for the last debate in Iowa. Uh, your uh, let's just closing thoughts on the Chris Christie presidential campaign of 2024. Sure. I mean, let's be honest, like Chris Christie, I don't know that anybody has been talked about as a presidential candidate for as long as Chris Christie has without actually ever becoming a serious presidential candidate. <laughs> Even like since the day he was elected in New Jersey, people were like, Oh, look at that. You know, blue state Republican, you know, people like him, tough talking. He's got a little bit of a potty mouth. Uh, yeah, this guy could have a future. Um, and unfortunately the Republican party just moved like about 15,000 miles to the right of this guy. Um, and you know, his mission was to highlight uh, the danger that, that Donald Trump poses to the United States and to the constitution never really had any anything else meaningful as a platform that he wanted to talk about. Um, and I think that he actually, I actually think he did what he wanted to do. I don't think he's an idiot. He knew he wasn't going to win. Um, and, and he went out there and he, t- he took a stand. He was like, as, as much as I can, I'm going to get on national television and I'm going to try to tell my fellow Republicans um, that this guy is bad news. Um, and he did that. It never moved the needle a single inch for him. Um, and uh, ultimately, you, you can't get people to keep writing you checks um, when you have no chance of winning. And uh, the approach of the Iowa caucus is is, is usually when uh, the pretenders get out. You know, sometimes they get out before or sometimes they get out after. Um, and I think Christie just um, kind of decided to put the whole thing to sleep. And I can't blame him. Um, but no, he never had a chance. I mean, he never had a chance. Uh, somebody that's that vocally anti-Trump. Never had a chance in this primary. Um, you know, my, I've been saying for a while, a while um, that a, a pragmatic argument against Trump is the only thing that could really appeal to the Republican primary electorate and, and convince them. I don't think that has a ton of a chance either, but you never know. It's kind of what Nikki Haley has been doing. Um, 
and I think she could do it better. But um, but like Donald Trump did the insurrection and he's a traitor. It's, it's just not going to get you above three percent in that primary. It just is what it is. Well, Bye. it's hard to make a, uh, it's hard to make a pragmatic argument against Donald Trump when, as we began the show, talking about polls showing him defeating Joe Biden. You right. know what I mean? Uh, so it's when when the when the polls show that America wants to embrace uh, a dictator, it's hard to make a pragmatic. What what a, what a like? But just the absurdity of it, David. We're going to make a pragmatic argument uh, against voting for dictatorship as opposed to just making a principled argument against voting for dictatorship. No, principled argument won't work. Uh, pragmatic one will. I'm going to push back with you very briefly. This would be a topic for a whole show between two political geeks like us. I would argue that Mario Cuomo is uh, uh, right there with Christie in terms of being announced as a presidential candidate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did he ever even run? I don't think he ever ran. He never, uh, no. he never ran. He never. Uh, he came close that one year, and uh, forever it was until the day he lost. Uh, in uh, here we go for ten trivia points, David Ferris, who defeated Mario Cuomo and ended his political career. Do you remember? If you pull this off, you are really a nerd. Uh, was it Pataki? Yes. Oh my God! George Pataki. George Pataki. Uh, George Pataki defeated him, and I want to say the year was nineteen ninety four. Wow. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, Clinton wanted to appoint him to the Supreme Court. Uh, that first open seat on the court that Clinton got, he wanted to put Mario Cuomo on it, um, which I think was, would have been like stupid from a long range perspective because he was already kind of old and he died not that long later. Um, but uh, but interesting from a like, you know, not everybody on the Supreme Court has to be like a like a Harvard constitutional lawyer actually really believe in that. So people who have a sense of the politics of the Supreme Court's decisions would be a welcome change from uh, from the crew that we currently have up there. Yeah. No, I, I listen. Uh, Cuomo's sons have given bad, uh, have given a bad, made that name a bad name. But I, I let's end the show without this nostalgic trip. I remember when I first un- came face to face with Mario Cuomo. I'm like, what an interesting guy. Uh, this was like in the late '70s. He wrote a book about uh, integration uh, in New York, housing integration. He was uh, he hadn't run for governor yet. I'm like, what an interesting mind here. Uh, and anyway. All right, uh, David, thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk to us. Uh, well, happy New Year, all those good things. Uh, and uh, let's hope you're correct. I'm just me speaking that there is a sliver of chance uh, that the um, the Supremes will do what the American population seems incapable of doing. And that is, uh, <laughs> you know, ridding the political scene of Donald Trump. Let's hope there's a sliver of chance. Thanks, uh, so, uh, I'm not going to take your breakfast bed because I, I do value my money, but I do think there's a chance. So um, anyway, thanks. It's great to be on the show as always. And uh, we'll talk soon. No, I'm the dummy. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm the one who's going to be on the hook for so many breakfasts. I uh, be feeding half of Chicago. All right. That's uh, David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 